of Women Podcast. Now it's over to Everyday Racism with a talk titled The Tools of Protest. I feel like we could all do with this. In modern times, we have to kind of investigate and reconfigure perhaps our activism quite often because I think it's very easy to uh, be a warrior online, but what does it actually mean to be an activist and how do we protest and make change with what we have, particularly with restrictions? Sisters Natalie and Naomi Evans, the founders of Instagram account Everyday Racism, um, now they've got 106,000 followers. They are here for this incredible discussion about activism and racism. They're just amazing as well. I'm a big fangirl of both of these women. They are anti-racist educators, speakers and writers from Kent. We're very proud of them in many ways. They just really do kind of inspire us in lots of different ways. They're of black Jamaican and white British heritage, just like myself, big up to all my Jamaican fam right now, um, and have experienced racism both overtly and covertly throughout their lives. It is with huge pleasure uh, that I hand over to two sisters that really know, Natalie and Naomi Evans. Help us, please. <laughs> oh, thank you, Gemma. What an introduction. Yeah, that was a lovely introduction. <laughs> um, it's such an honour to be here. Um, I remember watching last year some of the POW talks um, and actually thinking how much I would love to do something. And so a year on and here we are, um, it's funny how things turn out. Um, and obviously the theme um, just is incredible. Something that is really close to our hearts. And also we're two girls that have grown up in Margate. And um, so to be doing this, um, with lots of people from our hometown um, and also lots of other people joining in um, from all over the country um, is great. So hi everyone, thank you for joining us. Um, and Power in Protest and the tools of protest, we just want to kind of go through a little bit about our story but also um, breaking down really what it means to be somebody that protests in their everyday life. Um, often we think about protesting as being something where, you know, we physically um, have to be present and, you know, we go out and march or um, we do a physical protest, but actually we really believe in the power of protesting just by showing up in the fullness of ourselves, mm. especially as women. And we're going to break some of that down um, this afternoon. So thank you so much for joining us. Um, so I'm just going to start us off by talking a little bit about how everyday racism um, was birthed, I guess. Um, some of you might have heard this story already um, and some of you might not. Um, but I think it's really important to start with 
with the journey because that's a massive part of what we're talking about today. Um, so back in 2019, at the end of the year, I was on a train coming back to Margate. I think I was in Gillingham or, or somewhere. Um, I'd just done a day of meetings, was very tired and um, I got on the train and sat down and um, two white guys got on the train and they were very loud and they had um, cans of beer in their hands and so I was thinking oh they're probably just having a merry time Um, and as I was kind of um, sitting and just looking around obviously notice and this is something that we notice a lot that you know I was the only brown girl on the train um, and that's not unusual especially kind of here in in the area although it's getting better but growing up it was very much only um, us in the room um, and the two white men got on and they were being quite loud and rowdy and I kind of at first didn't think anything of it but at the time also a little bit you know a bit wary um kind of thinking okay and then um the train conductor came down and he was a black man and again it was kind of you know for me I was like oh you know wow another um black person on the train um and but that is when I remember thinking I'm not sure now if this is a safe environment um I I kind of looked at the guys and I thought there's something not quite right there. And I think that is something that, again, we've had to navigate as being kind of minorities in the room of when is a good or safe space for us. Um, And then that's when everything kicked off. Um, He asked the uh, two white men for their train tickets, which is what you do when you work on the train. Um, they responded saying, you know, I don't, I don't have a ticket. Um, and he said, well, that's not how this works. You always have to have a ticket to get on the train. Um, this went backwards and forwards and this end resulted in them actually saying to him, well, did you have an effing passport to, to get into the country? And at this point, I decided to press record on my phone because you know I've just heard a racist um uh incident I'm witnessing something so I need to to turn my phone on and this escalated um even more um and then they kind of uh turned around and said well you know I'm not I'm not racist because I've got mixed race children and actually that's when I decided to stand up and say something um and it was all a it was a blur I mean the video is on our page um it's on our website as well and it's not the best in the sense of I don't think I I handled it very well I, I didn't say what I wanted to say um but I remember after that incident happened I got off the train I phoned Naomi because I knew she would be kind of the only person that would understand and you know we both asked the question why didn't anyone say anything the train was full um but you know looking around there was a woman who put her headphones in a guy who put his newspaper closer to his face to try and ignore it um two younger guys who clearly just didn't know what to do or say um and it was a very very traumatizing situation um it's nothing new um it was obviously very traumatizing for the train conductor as well and he was very very upset um but again, we just had to keep asking that question of, of why didn't anyone say anything? But at that time, looking back now, for me, that was 
that was a type of protest. That was my protest in that moment of standing up against racism. Um, months down the line, um, obviously the tragic murder of Ahmad Aubrey had happened in America, the lynching, and then um, soon after the murder of George Floyd, but after Ahmad Aubrey, um, there was a lot of our friends and family who are white um, were saying, well, I can't believe that this is still going on. You know, America, it's such a terrible situation over there. You know, it's so good that it doesn't happen here. Mm. And it that for us, that was a massive kind of, you know, really people really don't think that it happens here. Like people honestly think that racism doesn't exist. Like this happens every day, you know, and, um, I wanted a way to be able to show my friends and family what was happening and what happens to us on a mm. daily basis, whether it's, you know, a stand like a over go back to your own country or, you know, kind of covert, I want to touch your hair, you know, where are you from, you know, those sort of everyday microaggressions. Um, and so I decided to share the video not really thinking anything just thinking you know this might help my friends to understand that you know this only happened a few months ago and it happened on our doorstep and it got picked up and it went viral and it's been seen by over a million people now and I think again um the kind of narrative around this sort of video was why didn't anyone else say anything like why was it only you um and it was then that we you know, we had spoken about wanting to share our story. We've got a lived experience of everyday racism, um, but we were never sure what that would look like or how that would manifest. And um, it was that day that we realised that we needed to start a platform to share stories of black and brown people and the everyday racism that we experience. Um, and obviously, after the murder of George Floyd, the world really did wake up and realise, OK, systemic racism, Racism is a thing. We need to dismantle this. It's not enough to say that I'm not racist. I need to be anti-racist. And our page grew and, and we started to develop resources um, to help people in their work. Um, we sort of say that we're more of a stepping stone into this work. Mm. Um, you know, we're very entry level. There's a lot of people that have been doing this work for years and years and years before us. Um, and so we just felt that this was the time and, it, and it's grown and, and it's been an incredible experience and it's been a hard experience. And I think that um, the reason we just wanted to share that was because actually Natalie and I don't have any particular qualifications. We're not, um, you know, the best writers. We're not, um, you know, we don't have lots and lots of experience. But what we do have is our lived experience. And I think if we were going to say anything today, it would be that, purely by showing up as women and also as marginalized women as well because obviously there's the intersections of womanhood um that is a protest and everybody has the tools and the power to be able to protest and I think if there was any message that we had today is that we all have the capacity to stand up against injustice 
and um, bring about change. And I think sometimes there is the sense that, well, you know, I haven't got a big platform or, um, you know, I don't have these skills. And but everybody has a gift. Everybody has something that they can bring to the table and everybody has something of value to offer. And as women, we are so incredibly powerful because even just existing is a challenge. We have to overcome so much. And so by living and showing up in our fullness, that is a protest. And women are a threat because they are powerful. And so I think the first thing to remember is that by you showing up as your full self, that is a beautiful protest. And I just want to encourage you, um, if you're maybe sat there thinking that you don't have something to offer then that is not true you have influence and you have power in ways that maybe you just haven't discovered yet and when we do find that way that we can um meet our giftings and our abilities with bringing about change that really is when we we live in this in the fullness of power um and that is when we are we are truly protesting because we're going against everything that we've been told about ourselves and mm -hmm. um, that we are not good enough or we um you know we 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 don't have enough or we're not as good as and they are all myths and lies to stop women from reaching their full potential um and i think it is really important that we look at the intersections of womanhood and um, because we don't all have the same experiences and we're not all the same and we don't experience and live this life in the same way. And so there are privileges that we obviously need to recognise. So for Natalie and I doing anti-racism work, um, one of the things that we have to recognise and we do recognise is that we're light-skinned. And there are, um, we are seen as more palatable in this world because our, our skin tone is closer to white. And so for us, one of the things that we make sure that we do is that we listen to and we uplift the work of darker skinned women who have been doing anti-racism work. And I think it's really important that we recognize our different privileges and we make sure that we are standing up for those that are more marginalized than us. Because obviously as women, we are all fighting the patriarchy. We're all fighting, um, you know, the, the disadvantages that we have as women. Um, but actually, we have to recognise that um, different women are walking different paths because um, of the way that um, misogyny and racism works. And so I think, um, yeah, it's really important that when we are thinking about protesting we are making sure that we're aware of the people that are more marginalized than we are
Yeah, it's good. Um, I'm just going to read a quote. Every human must decide whether they will walk in the light of creative altruism or the darkness of destructive selfishness. Life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? Martin Luther King Jr. And I just love that. And I think that within our work and within everyone's work, we are obviously speaking more about anti-racism work, but I think that this can be applied to any activism um, that you might be involved in. Um, and approaching injustice is, it's not easy. It takes courage, um, it's dis it's um, uncomfortable, um, it also takes compassion, um, and we need to be authentic in ourselves, as Naomi was saying, but we need, to, and that also will, will manifest over into being authentic in our work. Um, and we need to remember that it's about being proactive, not always reactive. And reactive isn't a bad thing because there's things that happen that we don't, we, we don't see, we don't know. But in a lot of this work, um, it is about being proactive and, and educating ourselves and learning so that we are ready um, for um, this fight, essentially. Um, and, I think as well, it's about being honest um, with where we are as as women and as humans um, and honest with how we're feeling in this process. Um, I think this is this work is continuous. Um, it's it won't you know, it won't stop. It's going to continue and continue um, and it's relentless. So along the way we need to look at ourselves we need to assess ourselves we need to stop and think okay what am I thinking here what am I feeling here what am I doing here it's you know we're never going to get to the destination and it's done um and I think especially within anti-racism work um there's a massive danger of um thinking that oh well I'm I've I've read the books, um, I've listened to the podcast, I've got black and brown friends, I live in a diverse area, I'm fine. But actually that is more, more dangerous um, than the kind of overt racism that we have heard on the street, you know, of go back to your own country or um, what are you doing here? You know, I actually find that kind of narrative of well, I'm okay. I, I'm woke. I'm. I. I know what I'm doing. Um, because actually, this work is about. Con it's constant changing. Mm. It's constant looking around the corner. It's. It's the bends. It's looking at what is next, and we have to constantly reassess ourselves along this journey. Um, and the reason is, is because we all have unconscious bias, each and every one of us, and that shows in every dynamic and every situation and we have to consistently challenge this um otherwise you will continue to cause harm towards black and brown people and um you know i think for white people if you're listening here um it is about being honest with yourself it's looking at yourself and thinking okay, where do I need to start? We've had to do that as lighter mixed race people as well. And we've had to look at ourselves and think, where are our privileges? Where do we need to like, you know, where do we need to amplify voices? Um, and, you know, and look at where 
you might be or you are causing harm towards black and brown people, especially um, the queer trans black community. Um, and so there's just some questions that I'd love for you to, you can write down or, you know, just have a think about. But first of all, if you're new to this work, um, and when I talk, I'm specifically talking about anti-racism work, but it could be any work that you're doing, and that that was it within the last five years. Why? Why are you now choosing to listen? Why are you now choosing to step up and say, I need to be anti-racist? And why is it taking you this long? Um, the second one to think about is how have I harmed others because of my privilege? Um, and think about that and think about what does your environment look like now? What does your network look like now? When was the last time that you looked at yourself and assessed yourself and worked out where am I on this anti-racist movement? Did that book that I put down two months ago, have I done anything since then? Um, and challenge yourself within that. Um, because this is how we protect marginalized communities and this is how we stand up for black and brown people um, in our area. So we're talking today about the tools of protesting and obviously this year we have seen protests or last year in a way that I don't think we've ever seen no, before. No. Um, obviously protesting on the streets, people physically taking part in um, the Black Lives Matter movement and there's obviously been other protests as well for different issues. Um, and that is also a, amongst a, a global pandemic. So mm. you can imagine if COVID um, wasn't going on, then it would have been even bigger. Um, and then we've also seen protesting on social media um, and activism on social media in a way that we've never seen before. Um, and some of that has been really helpful and has been, um, you know, for people that maybe physically can't um, go out and protest. Um, it has been really encouraging to see people using their platforms to um, share people's work and to speak out on issues. Um, but also we know that that has caused harm as well because there has been situations where people have um, protested through their social media, but you know behind the scenes there's nothing else going on. And, you know, a classic example of that um, was when L'Oreal put out their um, Black Square and their um, slogan about Black Lives Matter but we all knew that they had got rid of Monroe as an ambassador um, because um, she had previously spoken out against racism and had made a comment about white people and L'Oreal dropped her um, from campaigns. So that obviously was a really harmful way of seeing um, activism on social media play out. Um, and that's not to say that we cannot be doing things on social media. Um, and obviously our, our platform, um, that's one of the ways that we protest. It's not the only way, but it is one of the ways um, that we draw attention to different issues. But what are 
the tools of protest that we have because it's not just social media and it isn't just um physically holding a placard although I'm not discounting those things I think that the greatest tool of protest that we have is us and our community we might not think that we have very much to offer but we all have something that we can bring um, it might be for you that you have money monetary privilege you might have extra at the end of every month you might have you might have had an inheritance you might have um some you know extra funds and you can use those funds to help support other people who are doing work and maybe don't have the that kind of capacity it might be that you have time time privilege maybe um you have um a, a day or a few hours every week and you can use those to do something for others maybe you have um resources in terms of space that you can offer maybe you um do a, a job role where actually you have resources that you can donate or give to activists or people that are doing work for marginalized people the things that you're good at maybe you're really good at writing letters and maybe you're somebody that could offer that service to somebody else that is doing work and protesting um so using the tools that you have they don't have to be something that you know people consider as like this incredible thing you know we place a lot of value on things that actually are not as important that important and actually what we have is we have us and if we use what we have and if everybody was using a bit of what they had then we could make a massive massive difference another thing that we have um as women um in order to protest is our boundaries and one of the things that I think is really, really powerful um, is us actually putting in place our boundaries and being really firm about what we want to do and what we don't want to do. It's something that I've definitely learned about this year. It's something that I wasn't very good at doing because I wanted to please people. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, we're seeing this play out at the moment with the whole Meghan Markle situation she has put in place boundaries about things that she does and doesn't want to do. And that's absolutely her right. And yet we're seeing people criticize her for doing that left, right and center. And actually by her putting in place boundaries and carrying them out, she is protesting. She is saying no, and people are resisting that. So by you putting in boundaries, particularly, as women, when we're kind of expected to do everything, you know, we talk about equality, but I feel like what's really happened is that a lot of the time women are doing what they used to do and doing more. 
And so actually by us saying no and putting boundaries in place, we are protesting and we're also setting up for the next generation to be able to put their own boundaries in place and say what they will and won't put up with. Another thing um, that we can do to protest is rest and look after ourselves. And um, yesterday, Natalie and I went on a run. We're not great runners at all. We've literally just wow, started. I hate it. <laughs> I hate it. Um, but we started doing that because we wanted to start looking after ourselves a bit more. And it is important. We have to look after ourselves because if we don't, we don't have the capacity to do anything else. And so we have to prioritize that. And self-care isn't just about, um, you know, having a nice bath, although that might be what you like to do and that's brilliant but self-care is about boundaries and putting in place um that time and and saying no actually I do need to prioritize myself in able to be able to give out to other people and I think that that is that is a tool of protest so as our time's coming to a close I guess what we really want to say is the greatest protest that we have as women is showing up in the absolute fullness of ourselves and who we're meant to be um, and by doing that that is resistance so number one women you are incredible and we just want to say like if we come together that is so powerful and if we come together in the fullness of who we are celebrating each other we literally can do anything wow thank you so much Naomi and Natalie don't go anywhere because I'm just buying in so that we can continue basically I I really really am moved actually by hearing you speak so honestly uh so well prepared um in a way that is you know you've given us practical advice practical tips to take forward but the fundamental in terms of what I hear, is that we do need to do this as a collective. Yeah. Because in some ways, when you realise how hard the world is, <laughs> when you are faced with the uprooting of trauma, particularly if you are Black, it can be really overwhelming. Yeah. And it does require more than your own self more than your own thoughts more than your own work that you've done whether it's reading whether it's therapy you know really working through the what's what it is to live the black experience but we can't there's no point in us doing this alone it's too much it's too much so what would you say to anybody watching right now who is white um, and again, there has been an uprooting of trauma, I would say, in terms of guilt yes. amongst our, our white allies. And I am black and white. So I'm mixed race. Yeah. Um, in terms of being able to deal with that from the white perspective and the white lens and being able to become an ally and a friend and a collective, mm. of the, the brave new world, as I call it. What would you say? Yeah, I think, first of all, I would, 
you know we always say education is key it's so important to to go away and learn and educate yourself about this work but I think it is about what we said earlier it's about um internalizing and and working out what it is that you are you're feeling as a white person about this situation um because I think what happens what tends to happen is in these environments or in these moments that happen when um you know it's on the news there's a big you know some another person's been murdered another racist attack has happened um you tend to go to to people that you know or has experienced that because you want to find out the quick information from them but what happens is is that you then you bring on more trauma to to that kind that black or brown person because what what you're doing is you're saying before I I check in on you I need you to tell me everything that you know so that I feel better Mm um and that isn't that comes from again it's about conscious and unconscious bias but again it's it's about white fragility it's about white guilt um and it's challenging that so that you know how to respond in the best way and what I'm not saying is that you can't talk to your black and brown friends about racism I'm not saying that at all Mm. but what I am saying is that you have to be really careful how you do that because what you do is you then conflict more trauma so what I would say is firstly go away educate yourself work out what who out of your friends wants to talk about this some of your friends they don't want to talk about it they don't Mm. want to educate you on racism we do this because that's the work that we want to do that's what we feel that we are we should be doing we're happy to have those conversations but not everyone is and that is okay um so it's working that out and then it's looking at okay how do I become a good ally and it's looking at white privilege and again I know that what that word can be very triggering for people because it's the Mm. I'm not privileged because I've you know my life's been hard and you know it's we're not saying that we're just saying that the color of your skin hasn't contributed to that that's all it is Mm. you know Mm -hmm. and so as a white person you do hold privilege you know you do you are you're up here and everyone else is down here I'm sorry that is how it is so as a white person it's looking at that and working out okay how do how do I use my privilege in the best way from the marginalised communities? And I would go as far as to say that it does require an element of change that is quite big, that we have been conditioned in the West to, to be a particular way and to not challenge the norm and the systemic issues that we have everywhere when it comes to institution, organisation, authority, etc. Yeah. So it really does require something quite big, <laughs> you know, within oneself to be able to become part of, of a progression in the, in a collective. Yeah. And I think as well, we've never seen resources and writing like we have. Yeah. I mean, in the, in the last year, I, you know, can name about 10 books about allyship. Um, you know, so name a few now in case people are taking notes because they're gonna. Yeah, watch. sure. So, not number one, we always say to people, start with me and white supremacy by Leila Saad, because it's yeah, a twenty-eight cool. day breakdown of looking at conscious and unconscious bias, um, and it 
it works for white people and it also works for um, non-black people of colour as well. So it's a very, very powerful book. It started as an Instagram challenge and then she turned it into um, a book. There's also a journal that goes with it. So if you're unsure of where to start, that would be number one. Um, there's a an allyship book that Sophie Williams, um, she's Sophie Millennial Black um, on Instagram. It's a very simple pocket guide allyship book. Um, what's it called? I'm it's anti anti racist ally. ally. Yeah, <laughs> right. So it's really, yeah, really simple, straightforward. Um, Emma Dabari's just bringing out a book, What White People Can Do Next. Nova Reed's about to bring out a book. I love Nova Reed. Follow Nova Reed. Watch her TED Talks. She's incredible. Amazing. She's bringing out The Good Ally. That will be, I mean, Nova's been doing this work for years and years, and her book... Um, she wanted to write it it got rejected by publishers um, and then all of a sudden (laughs) you know they wanted to publish it so hers will be something that has been in the making for a long time so that's one that we're definitely going to watch out for can I ask you why you do the work that you do yeah incredible that you have one another yeah yeah i am like envious of the sisterhood yeah so like obvious and like palpable in terms of like being stronger together it's a message but um why why because it's hard this is hard stuff yeah i think the honest answer, we were fed up. Yes. We were so fed up and exhausted um, of the microaggressions, of the constantly having to fight little fires, mm. feeling, coming away from situations, mm. realising that we were the ones that had been insulted. We were the ones that had had harm inflicted on us yeah but then we were made to feel like we were the ones that were out of line yes and after and we've just put up with that and put up with that all our lives and I think we just got to a point where we were like actually (laughs) I had to stop myself from expletives then (laughs) (laughs) my mouth was like (laughs) actually doing this cannot be any worse than living like that yeah okay that makes a lot of sense so like the fact that you know we obviously have lots of racist people that attack us etc etc and it is very tiring and there is trauma actually the way we were living before was more traumatic because we weren't living in our truth yes what we were doing was we were trying to placate and please everybody all the time mm. by trying to be like the good brown girls, yeah. Yeah. the good black girls, you know, and we were trying to keep everybody happy and comfortable. That is exhausting and that is actually violent. Mm. And so now we can be our full authentic selves unapologetically and there is a freedom in that Mm. that is absolutely 
like liberating. Yeah. And how incredible that it's not just a personal freedom. I mean, I'm inspired by that and I'm really pleased to hear that too because I can identify with everything that you're saying. And for me, this is like, this is, it is emotional and incredible because these are the conversations that I've always wanted to have. Yeah, I, don't, I, know, I don't know how old you both are, but like, regardless of that, like, thank God, like, we're being able to say that it ain't easy and that these strange things happen and that they're sometimes super subtle, so it's quite hard to put your finger on. Yeah. But you don't always need to blame yourself. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. But it also it's freeing for us all because it's yeah. been, it, we are able to just like actually confront something that is conditioning that is perhaps unconscious um so it kind of requires like that kind of if you look at it if you think about it almost in growing you know like I don't believe I believe that we never stop growing and that if you stay curious you are the best that's living your best life but if you think about it in terms of like child development let's say you know like that tantrum like it's gonna be hard it's hard like you have to cry and perhaps scream I run into the sea (laughs) (laughs) I love the sea and the cold water um that gives me my resilience but like you find your way to work through this and then everybody we all can work through this. Exactly. exactly. It's not all right. It's not been okay. But the only way is kind of, in a way, you do need to look back. It's, 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 we have to. Yeah. We also have to look forward. Yeah. yeah. We have to change this. Yeah. yeah. And it's also about, it's the honesty. Yeah. yeah. There is such a freedom in, in the honest conversations. And my relationship with my white friends are better yeah Mm. because we've had these honest conversations and seeing them grow yeah and learn is emotional as well because you're like this is what I've always wanted but I've never felt comfortable and it takes time as well like I don't think it is as much as much as the eruption of the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement coming in the forefront in the way that it did in 2020 I found myself again recently like going back to my tools yeah thinking oh gosh like it it was such a huge wave of progress with all the conversations that were being had last summer yeah but it it is gonna require time to and to create real change and we've got some questions here Natalie um, has just got a statement. She says, being mixed race, you can experience racism from both sides. It's mm-hmm. true. I would go as far as to say I found myself saying that it was a very interesting thing to unpick, like the fact that I was made up in terms of identity of yeah. the oppressor and the oppressor. Exactly. Yeah. Um, without even going into the specifics of my heritage, really, just, just suddenly feeling what it felt to be both black and white yeah. <laughs> during working this out has been a very interesting one. Yeah. Yes, especially after the Black Lives Matters movement, because I think a lot of people who are mixed race um, and have black heritage, it's that question of does, I remember saying to Nate, does, does this include us? Like, are we a part of that? Mm-hmm. And I think as mixed race people, 
it's the identity question is really really hard because if for us being brown light-skinned we're never going to be seen as white um but then in the black community sometimes you're never seen as black but mm -hmm. for the white community you're always seen as black and, it, and mm -hmm. it's like this space in between you're just sort of in a bit of a this lost yeah universe but it doesn't have to stay lost because actually like our world is so mixed race <laughs> Like in terms of uh, or whatever term there is that, that you that you feel comfortable with. Yeah. In terms of our her heritage is a beautiful tapestry for so many of us. Yeah. And having traveled so much, which I have done mostly with work and also just like my adventurous wanderlust spirit, um, you really do start to see things perhaps from a bigger perspective yeah. in terms of multiculturalism. And I think we must remember that when we're talking about these things and when we're thinking about these things, we're often doing it within our own paradigm. We're doing it in our own households, within our own families, what we see in the mirror, what we have in Kent, what we have in the UK. Then we're thinking about America. This is all the West. <laughs> yeah. With a particular education system. Mm. And that might be like a bit boggling and a bit intense, but it's the truth. Mm. Like when you go to Africa, it's completely different. Yeah, exactly. Like, so it's really important to remember that this is a big world That's and there true. are a lot of black people. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I know and that's, and that's an amazing thing yeah we don't use the term BAME because we're not we're the global majority and you know it's only minority in terms of whiteness and so um and the whole mixed race thing as well is that mixed race people not just with one black parent one white parent but is the fastest growing group mm -hmm. um and you know I think that is amazing I love that like it's I'm wonderful really it's wonderful it is wonderful um but yeah it is it is definitely um an identity question and something to you have to explore it in order to feel comfortable in how you identify yeah. um but definitely it's not up to anybody else to tell no. you how to yes. identify yes. you choose how you identify and that might change mm. because I know when I was younger I wanted to be white I wanted to be white because mm. that seemed like the best route <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah. you know that's how I'm going to be successful right by being as you know close to whiteness as as possible mm. um and now I realize that that's really problematic and obviously that is a symptom of white supremacy yeah. and that's what it <laughs> makes you feel like um and so I'm much more comfortable in my identity now but yeah I think um the mixed race one is a com is another conversation. It is, and it's, a, it's an interesting one, and it's something that we need to, to like you say, explore. Um, Anna says, what can employers do to improve equality in the workplace? Big question with lots of potential answers, but I always think more could be done. Oh, yeah. gosh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I laugh because it's just, like, we got to, like, wild it is wild yeah. smash it all down and start again <laughs> yeah it, it does feel like that because what's <laughs> happening is there's like this scramble oh, to yeah. like quick 
let's like get some anti-racism training let's get a diversity statement out let's you know blah, blah. and I'm not saying it's not good to have anti-racism training and it's not good to have a diversity statement but it only means something if things are happening behind the scenes hmm. so what we're always like let's look at leadership yeah. that's where we want to start let's look at your board let's look at your board let's look at your CEO let's look at the big players and if that's where you need to start not this bottom yeah bit, you know yeah. where like oh well we've got you know 20 percent of our employees are now black that's great but who's at the top because if it's the same if it's staying the same at the top and people aren't progressing through which is what happens yeah, yeah. people get to a certain level and, and they it. either stay there or they go because mm. it's un untenable yes that's where we want to see and when we see that change that's when we know there will be change mm -hmm. now i'm not saying like quotas and things like that are not important and talent streams and all those things they are important but actually what i'm interested in mm. is leadership yeah very very key um and do you know what like just on a kind of a side like when I think about this, I totally agree with you. Um, I am shocked, I'm flabbergasted often that people in positions of power really do find it more difficult than anything yeah. to step aside. Yeah. I don't actually understand. Mm. Like, I don't, un I, I, like, it's not really like the way that I operate in terms of my innards. Like, I want to be in a fair, yeah multiculturalist society so I would say if you are a leader like please learn some humility yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like well done you, yeah. you earned your stripes yeah? yeah but it is time yeah. <laughs> for us to come together and it doesn't yeah. even necessarily mean giving up your job or like I don't I don't mean it in such a like um like a huge, fantastical way. Like the statements don't need to even be that huge. It's just looking around you and thinking about how you can change like whatever your community, your working environment like is in terms of empowering everybody around you, including the black and brown people. Exactly. And yeah. also supporting us, in our own journey, which is specific. Because yeah. if you get to a certain point, imposter syndrome is real. Yeah. <laughs> okay? That is different to, for example, I know that white men obviously get like singled out a lot and I actually feel a, a little bit like, I don't hate men. I don't hate white people. No. Like, no. So it's not, but like I know this idea, like in terms of like the extreme opposite of me would be, the privileged white male, yeah, yeah. perhaps Oxbridge and been to like boarding school, yeah, yeah, yeah. or something like that, you know, and <laughs> like <laughs> that whole government. Um, but, 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 like, I like, I think we have to remember that those backgrounds are going to feel different in positions of power than we might do if we get given the opportunities to be, yeah, leaders. We have to be supported in a different way. If you are told 
in your privilege from the day you were born that you deserve to be a leader, that you deserve to earn lots of money, that you are in power, you are the right person to be in power. It is a different experience That's right. to those that aren't, those yeah. that are kind of told the opposite. Yes. And that's a, that's a woman thing as well as... Yeah, absolutely. So we have to be nurtured and supported in a different way. Yes. And it is important to note that. You can't absolutely. come up through the system and then it just be like, okay. Yeah, and that's why... Go through the system. I yeah. totally agree with you, Gemma, because that's why when sometimes you see um, some black and brown people who are in positions of power, they're just replicating yeah. what they've seen white supremacy do, which is why they end yeah. up. So people they do it. the yeah. argument of, oh, yeah, but look at our government. Look at the government. We've got this person, this person, that person. Yes. But when you actually hear what they're saying, they're not supporting. Yeah other black and brown people yes they've yes. just replicated what they've seen mm -hmm. to get where they are and mm -hmm. sometimes you can't blame them yeah but at the end of the day I, I totally agree with you we've got to work in a different way yes and that is why if women come together as mm -hmm. a collective you know and if white women start getting getting it down in terms of allyship can you imagine the power yeah, force? It's incredible. Like it's 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 kind of beyond being able to sum up in a tagline. It is because it's that powerful. Yeah. Um, Kirsty says the process of deconditioning is hard, but ultimately freeing for everyone. Yes. Yeah. Learning and unlearning as a white person, the guilt and the shame can freeze, but hope and the bigger picture does create positive action and change. It yes. needs working through, moving out of lockdown. It's more about reconnecting and finding local groups and communities and planet to connect to. Can yeah. how help with this networking? Perhaps hosting local circle groups. That's so nice. I love that. I mean, I, I know that the power team are on it. They really are. Like I know they come under scrutiny too. And I've got to say, I defend the power team like with my heart because the kind of the bigger perspective in terms of inclusion and progressive discussion and really being brave and going there is at the forefront of the power team's mind and it's always good to feed back to plug in to talk you know yeah. we need to talk we need to talk about hard stuff yeah but I would say having hosted so many panel chats in my life and career been to many met incredible people interviewed them read lots of books traveled etc this what's happening right now here in Fanet is one of the most progressive and exciting things that's amazing it that's is amazing. it's going there it's not afraid to go there yeah, yeah. and that's so encouraging because growing up here I'm telling you now Tamara, <laughs> I'm telling you now as a child here, never in my wildest dreams mm -hmm. never. I ever thought this would be happening. No. You know, seeing pe people then collected, all of these yeah. like movements happening and black and brown communities coming together. And even like at the um, Black Lives Matters The March. March. Oh my goodness. That was wild. We literally, I mean, we left because yeah. we just thought it's not going to happen here. So to come back, and see 4,000 people yeah. marching 
it let it literally makes me shiver because I couldn't believe it. I'd been in lockdown for three months alone. Mm. Uh, which was an um, amazing and insane experience. And yeah. then coming outside to do that. And I don't know. I mean, I have a lot of friends here and I know a lot of people and it was beautiful. But at the same time, I couldn't actually communicate with any of them. I just sort of, I was just at the back, just yeah. crying. Yeah. crying. <laughs> just like being swept along by... Yeah something so wonderful and yeah I've got to again actually in this moment big up people damn collective because again I will say having experienced all sorts of discussion from different levels mostly because of my job like I'm very thankful for my career yeah people dem what they're doing is incredible yeah, yeah. it is so strong like yeah. it's so it's and it's really like it's progress it's like yeah. pushing for progress yeah and um yeah I know that like they're a team of people but watching the core members just like mm-hmm. absolutely smash it yeah. in Thanet with like big future plans like nice it's it's just a beautiful thing. It's very exciting. I love that idea of the when we can coming together. Absolutely, yeah. I'm sure Power would like. We'd love to do that. Yeah. We'd be interested in doing that for sure. Amazing. Um, Natalie says I'm sending you a link to my documentary, Fifty Fifty: The Mixed Race Experience. Bring it. Yeah. Thank amazing. you, Natalie. Harry says, thank you so much for doing this and everything that you're doing. You are amazing. You are so amazing. Uh, Anna says, it's very hard to undo social conditioning, let alone be aware of it. Being aware of your own bias is key. It's a yes from power. We want to do it. Yes, yes. Let's talk. The head honcho says yes. (laughs) It's happening. Love it. Angela, thank you for telling us it's okay to care for ourselves first. It's such a hard step. So much guilt wrapped up in that. Perhaps I should label my self-care time as working on myself. To help Absolutely. Feeling. Oh, my goodness. Pleasure is what we live for. People. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't giving up my pleasure for nothing. <laughs> Whether that's running, swimming, yeah, like we've got to stop like, this guilt. Oh this guilt thing is, as women, you know, for literally just doing the simplest things, it's wildness. Like men, there's a lot of men, you know, and I'm not getting down on. I'm married to a man, like I, you know, <laughs> I love guys, yeah, but yeah. like we've got to stop this guilt thing because they don't have it. A lot of men don't have it in the I same know. way. Like my husband, he's, he goes off to the gym. He's not fi- driving, feeling guilty and wound up like yeah. about it. You know, yeah. we've we've got to stop this. Yeah, it's time. Come on now. Come on now. <laughs> I, I, I have a really lovely memory. So um, I, I'm sure a lot of people here know Brigitte Aphrodite. Yeah. The artist that is just, I don't know, queen of Margate. There's many queens of Margate. But yeah. Um. Uh, she's a really old friend of mine. I love her. And we went for a swim one morning um, in Tidal Pool. And we'd actually crossed the street in our swimming gear because I was living opposite the Tidal Pool in like green face masks. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking that nobody would spot us. And then we still got these compliments 
from like uh like these guys like being a little bit like annoying being like all right ladies and then they were like hold it like, and I was like wait a minute we are in like wetsuits green face mask looking kind of otherworldly <laughs> and apparently we still got it so like, you know I th- I feel that we uh, there are so many forms of us like having fun Absolutely. looking after ourselves how we present ourselves like who we are like just be it, be it in, in your fullest and allow others to do so too. Absolutely. And there's a lot of fun to be had, you know. There's a lot There's a lot of joy, particularly here. Oh, my goodness. Oh, we oh, live in, like, very so much fun here. Oh, my, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> it really is, like, the ILO, I mean... It's a crazy, <laughs> crazy place, but it's yeah. crazy. Um, Angela, I'm a photographer and artist, a senior lecturer in computing at Canterbury Christchurch University to pay oh, the bills, cool. and I'm very interested in helping to build community and sharing uh, the dissemination of information. Wow. Mm. Wow. I like that. There's so many brilliant brains here. Let's yeah, just there are. Put some face masks on, have a swim in the sea, <laughs> the book club can happen, everything can happen. Yeah. So I hear that you guys have a book club, right? We yeah, we do. So it was kind of by accident, but, <laughs> but it's happening. It's happening. <laughs> yeah. We now run a book club, Gemma. <laughs> Why not? Why not? Yeah, so we do a book a month and um, they're all written by black indigenous or people of color um and it's free to join you just literally subscribe on our website and then the beauty is that every month we do an an instagram live with the author like i'm literally living my dream by interviewing these these authors and then um we we give out the the talks as well for the subscribers brilliant yeah really simple to get involved Brilliant. Um, I, I'm just going to plug my own book then. You don't have to read it all. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I would say for anybody, um, I wrote my book for the young adult audience. So yeah. it's kind of like for little me. <laughs> uh, so if anybody is worried about the teenagers in their life, mm. particularly those that um, have seen some kind of trouble, you know, yeah. like there's more like the ones that are potentially vulnerable um open a toolkit for how magic and messed up life can be it's fully illustrated you can dip in and out of it it's got a full index at the back so amazing particular subject matter you can go to it um there's definitely things about it that I would change and like develop and I wrote it a few years ago but as a general kind of like bible and friend I always say that it's a friend (laughs) to have in your room yeah. Then, yeah, I I would recommend it because I've heard some really lovely testimonials about how it's helped. Oh, that's so good. It's bright yellow. Yeah, get the original if you are Amazing. looking it up open. Um, what is the best book that you read recently? Oh, well, we've just oh, finished um, White Tears, Brown Scars yeah. by Ruby Hammond. Incredible. Oh, wow. We'd recommend that to everyone. I'd say that's the best one mm. I've I've read and the next one in the book club is why I this this is why I resist um by Dr Shola um yeah and we've just started that 
really yeah, powerful really as good. well i'm reading um do better which is Shame. about spiritual activism for fighting and healing from white supremacy wow really, 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 really good so definitely recommend that that's incredible there's yeah. so many good books out yeah. there i feel like books can save lives like i, oh, I believe that 100 yeah. Yeah. Um, follow at Everyday Racism on Instagram, of course. <laughs> Do you feel pressure ever? Uh, yeah. It's like I, your own journey, your young women, like having to yeah. take on this responsibility is quite big. Yeah, I think I think some, a lot of the pressure I think is, is like getting it wrong. Right. But we're really learning in that in the sense of like it is okay to get things yeah. wrong like we say that all the time so I think but sometimes you give advice to other people but you never really listen to yourself yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I'm like yeah. oh yeah it is okay but I think for me that's the pressure of like oh what if we what if we say something that wasn't quite right or what if we offend someone yeah. or you know and may, mainly we we want to make sure that we amplify um, black voices that's what we really want to make sure we do so I think we're always very conscious of like yeah. how we we say things and- yeah I feel as well you know like we're in a kind of time culturally where everybody is a bit scared of that yeah offending yeah. others and getting it wrong and it's because we are in a new landscape yeah, yeah. so I feel um, like I want to tell everyone to reach out right now and say, explore, express, talk, cry, laugh, swear, like, yeah. let it out. Let's try. Yeah. Let's look at some of the weirdness of what's been normal in the past to help us grow together, you know, yeah. and like, and reshape language. Yeah. Forgive ourselves and let go. And Definitely. the only way to discover what feels really right as a truth yeah. and as a fair equality is to, like, have it out, really. Yeah. To, like, actually heal together, you know? Yeah. Yeah, we have, to, think, we have to get it out there. We have to explore it. There's a difference as well between, like, people who perpetually choose to harm, you know, like yeah. they they do something and they make a mistake, but they learn. And I think that that is very different. Like if we made a mistake and we we knew better, I think we'd be comfortable yeah. in being honest about that. Mm. But then there are people, Piers Morgan, who mm. like just doesn't, is not interested in learning from anyone else or like, mm. you know, admitting when they've maybe made a mistake or whatever. That's yeah. a completely different culture. I hear you. Yes. Okay. So we can make mistakes, but we have to make them and we have to learn from them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And be accountable, you know, and that's the yeah. whole thing of us being a community is like, we can hold each other accountable. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. mean, you know, it's just like, oh yeah, get on with whatever you do, you, you know, but we're doing it to help each other to help each other yeah and then it starts to actually feel better too yeah it better feels better (laughs) to be kind is a good feeling yeah exactly (laughs) honestly I've got to say that having done a lot of like self-exploration a lot of work like a lot in my within myself I'm 36 in a couple weeks and and it, it all I can say is that I don't know how old you both are but just from my own perspective, I do feel like it does somehow 
if you do the work, whatever that work looks like to you individually, and it's not just on black and brown people, it's on living, it's on us all, yeah. <laughs> especially in these times. My God, like, I grew up in the 90s. Are you crazy? What the <laughs> hell was that? <laughs> like, oh, I feel like it does, when you actually do it, it's hard, mm. but you start to find a place that feels better, you know? Absolutely. To do better feels better. Yeah, that's good. Um, even though it's so difficult to confront, to hold yourself accountable, to look back, to to reshape language, to uncondition oneself, uh, to not be so hurt by the act of others with their own bullshit. <laughs> yeah, it, um, it 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 is rewarding. It yeah, ma- it is. It it make you like you start to live better. You do. I totally agree with that. I'm I'm 37, Gemma. Yeah. I'm 31. She's the baby. Uh, baba. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, I totally agree with you. I used to think like, oh, my best years, my 20s, you know, all of this. But actually, no. Like, getting older has just been, yeah, like such a revelation. Just knowing if, yourself. If you, if you do more. these things, if you choose to do them, absolutely because you can just live a life like with your eyes closed to the things that are wrong and accept a lot of stuff that is just is not working for many I don't know about you but you just you know yourself so much more like you know you go through the therapy and you know still and still gonna continue to do that and all of those things but you just feel so much more comfortable in who you are and Mm. I think you know I see women in their 40s 50s and they're doing incredible stuff you're just like yes and it pays off because I'm looking at both of you as young women regardless of actual age and I see two women in their power like Mm. I see strong insightful beautiful women and so it pays off yes be brave to yeah. put out there, to admit, to work, to read, to like express, to activate, you know, like, yeah. live, like to live in like it, like in the fullest way. Yeah, yeah. 100%. But it's not just on us. It's not just on us as black and brown people. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> it's on all of us. Yeah, hundred yeah. And like you say, it's important that when you know, you have those privileges that you look after and uplift and support those that are more marginalised than you. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that means stepping aside. Mm -hmm. It means giving up opportunities. It means being and feeling uncomfortable because you've got to kind of speak up and speak out about something, Mm -hmm. you know? I would always say as well, you know, um, this idea of leadership and skill and privilege. I think as well, because we're all so different as well as the same. Like, we all need kindness. We all need, like, empathy. Like, there's some really, like, basic things that humans need. Mm. But we are all different, which is beautiful. Um, And if you have a skill in a particular right, like, your skill as activists, you're sharing, and that is incredible, you know? It's not, it's like, it's, it's, it's freeing so many of us uh but whatever your skill is particularly here in Sanit there's so many creative people yeah beautifully creative people like dynamic artists 
that can do anything really collectively. So I think remember like and hone and work out your craft, your skill, your talents, you know, your attributes and share those with those that need it. Absolutely. You know, like think about the most marginal. If you were a yoga instructor, who on your street could really do with the yoga? Yeah. Or free? Yeah. How do you invite them into your conversation? Exactly. If you own a trendy, hipster, lovely, very cool, lifelong dream business, how do you make sure that the community that have always been here also feel welcomed? Yeah. In, in your aesthetic even. Yeah. In terms of like how you decorate your place. Mm-hmm. What are you doing? Like there's just little things. Like I know we all put rainbows in our windows to, to support our NHS workers, rightly so you know, to show, but like, what else can you put in your window that's there forever to make people feel welcome and understood? Uh, If you are some sort of practitioner in any type of healing, the amount of trauma that I know statistically that black people hold in their bodies because of microaggressions and even worse than that, racism every day, what can you do? (laughs) Like, what can we do? What is your thing? To make to create a safer space, yeah. Because yeah. uh, you've got like an Airbnb, or you mm-hmm. make like quarter of a million on your house, yeah. Like, what can you do with that? How yeah. can you give back? Yeah. yeah. I know that the Oasis charity is completely different because Oasis charity is very specific, and it's for women, isn't it? I'm oh, just, they're amazing. Um. They're our local d- domestic abuse support charity. They have places uh, for the virtual marathon at the moment. So they're looking and seeing as you two are running a lot at the moment. <laughs> I'm not putting you on blast, but I'm telling that to everybody that's watching. Like, there are so many different things that we can do. There are so many. You don't have to run a marathon. You might have to paint a great statement in your window today, though. <laughs> Whoever's watching, you know, like, do your thing. Do yeah. Your- do it well, do it with grace, do it with dignity and look your look at your world, you know, who's in your house that you need to have a gentle conversation with. Yeah. It starts with you and then like how do we bring up our children? And then, you know, like it's it's there's lots of different things that we can do. And for me, that's exciting. It ain't a chore. It ain't a chore to make the world more beautiful. <laughs> Good thing. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks, Gemma. Beautiful women. Um, Natalie and Naomi from Everyday Racism. Uh, Brilliant, vital. Please share their work far and wide. What are you doing for the rest of your Sunday? We're having a roast and we're going to have a glass of beers. Oh, that's so nice. Um, Their website is everydayracism.co.uk. You can follow them on Instagram. No, women podcast. No, women podcast.